Hey, <clears throat> all right, Reg, how you doing? Yeah, I was. Uh, I'm still a little nasal. I was a little nasal <clears throat> uh, last podcast. Not so much when we first started it, but as the podcast went on, I, it was getting hard for me to. I mean, I don't know how I get a cold, but well, I get well. It's getting colder, I guess. I don't know. My wife had something of a cold. I must have caught it from her. <clears throat> but I am. Forging ahead, my friend. All right, here we go. Episode 334. 334. You ready to go? I am. No lollygagging. Let's just get this. Let's just get it started. You know the drill. Star, star, smile strong. Boom. I give you the. I'll give you the countdown. You give me the music. Ready? Here we go. Write it down. 334. You got it? Thumbs up. Yeah, let's get started. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. But don't forget, it's your job to spread the word. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty, your devotion... That elbow grease that you give us, oh, it makes our gears run. If you like what you hear, don't forget, go to WGNRadio.com, go to the podcast section, hit the prompt for this podcast, and my God, you will find more interesting, thought-provoking, and just outright fun podcasts just stuck in there. For your enjoyment. So go in there and explore. Just keep scrolling down and hitting play. There's about 333 previous podcasts. I don't think they're all in there, but there's enough for you to uh, have some fun. Find out where we were so you'll know where we're going. Right now, we're going to episode number 334. I've talked a lot about Rolling Stone magazine over the last several years. I've been a subscriber for, man, probably 35 years. And then a reader for longer than that. I've been into music for a long time. I used to buy Rolling Stone fairly regularly as, as a young kid because I was so into music and that was the Bible. And uh, I didn't buy it all the time, but I bought it fairly regularly until when I started to actually, you know, I had a part-time job. One of the things I did since I had a little steady income there with my part-time job in high school was to buy a subscription to Rolling Stone with my hard-earned money. That's where I was putting my hard-earned money at that time. <laughs> so much so that uh, I've been such a long-time subscriber that about, I would say, 30 years ago now, at least 25, 
almost 30 years, I would think. It's been a while. Um, I was offered at least 20. Let's put it that way. I was offered a lifetime subscription, a lifetime subscription. For 30 bucks, I can get a lifetime subscription. I mean, that's how much a subscription used to cost for like a year or two. Because Rolling Stone used to come out every other week. It was bi-weekly. Or bi-monthly, I'm sorry. Twice a month. And so uh, for 30 bucks for the rest of my life? <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that deal. Now, I'll be very honest with you. Uh, Rolling Stone has, for me, has lost its relevance, and I've talked about this before. Uh, I think it's lost its relevance. Magazines in general sadly have. Uh, Rolling Stone is no longer the rock and roll Bible. Um, it's a pop culture Bible. It always has been, but music and rock and roll was always the uh, a main feature because for the baby boomer generation... Uh, and the pop, and who was driving the pop culture since the mid '60s, through at least the early '90s, um, rock and roll was the music, was the soundtrack, was the backdrop for the pop culture and for the baby boomer generation. And then around the mid '90s or so, we had the growth of hip hop and rap. And pop in a in the form of you know Britney Spears and you know all the boy bands and things like that and uh, and then obviously the the domination now of hip hop and, and and rap so rock and roll has is is really not a, a major part they still put some obligatory stories in there just for the sake of their legacy but i don't know how many people in their 20s and 30s if anybody is even reading this magazine anymore even know who some of these artists are from the rock generation because so many you know generation z's and and millennials don't and you know don't know or care about anything that happened five years ago more or less 40 (laughs) so um i still get it i will page through it um, I will look at some of the articles about some newer music, but as I said, I'm not really into rap and hip hop and that, you know, kind of, you know, Harry Styles pop anymore. So musically, I don't, you know, I'm not a big Kara Jepsen fan or whatever her name is, you know, Dua Lipa, Dua Lupa, Lupa, Oompa, Oompa Loompa. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, yes, I'm an old fart, I guess. I consider myself a vintage music fan. How's that? <laughs> so I um, I still get Rolling Stone. I guess I could say, you know, contact them and tell them to stop it. But at least it, it keeps my toe or maybe my toenail into the pop culture world to some extent to f- at least know what's going on. But I'll be honest with you, it, it takes me, you know, 15 minutes to page through a 80-page magazine. So, it it you know it used to be a big deal who was on the cover of Rolling Stone. I mean, that used to be like a prestige thing to be on the cover of the Rolling Stone. What the heck? Even Doctor Hook in the Medicine Show wrote a song about it. 
and they and they even got him on the cover of Rolling Stone. But you know, that used to be a big pop culture, uh, you know, milestone, and now it's just another magazine. But as I've said, I, I've talked about Rolling Stone in the past, and it, you know, sometimes a magazine, especially or any kind of creative idea, was good for its time, and sometimes. A good idea lasts forever, and sometimes a good idea has an expiration date on it. And it just seems like, you know, I don't know if Rolling Stone has lost its relevance or if, you know, magazines have lost their relevance because of social media and the Internet. I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg, but but Rolling Stone has found a way to stay relevant on a semi-regular basis, not so much by their cover stories or their big stories, which used to be the driving force of the of the um, of the magazine, but they've hooked, they've 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 you know hooked up onto a nice little niche here and a little gimmick of lists, and we love lists. Lists were made for the internet because they're easy to click on and read and, and, scroll, and, and scroll down through. So we love lists. We have become a list culture. I've told you many times I personally love lists. I have a daily list of what I do every day. I've been doing that for decades. So I am, I am a, uh, I'm a slave to the list, but not a bad slave. I'm a willing slave. So I wouldn't even say a slave. I'm, I'm a proponent of the list so when rolling stone puts out a list i do tend to stop and read it i page through all the stories about many of these recording acts i've never even heard of or about these songs that i've never heard but um but i will stop on the lists and so in the which episode is it or not episode but oh now it's a monthly right in the October issue, yeah, it used to come out twice a month. That's how often Rolling Stone used to come out for, for much of its history. Um, now it's just a monthly 80 pages. It used to be huge, so thick. It was on newspaper print, and the magazine has, has certainly changed throughout the years, no question about that, in many ways, editorially, through its perspective, physically how it looks, who writes for it what it's written about it's it's a, it's a it's a completely different uh magazine it has its legacy but i'm not sure how much it it either embraces it or even how important it is anymore to a certain generation but those of us who grew up with it we still look at rolling stone with some sense of of attachment to it but as i said uh for me the only time i really dig down deep into rolling stone these days is when they have one of their lists and so they wisely, once again, have a list of, now, overall, it was the 100 greatest TV shows of all time. And that is on the internet version. And in the hard copy version, they, they cut it down to the top 50. Now, recently, to my point about the lists, they just recently had, in a, in a recent issue, the top uh, 50 or 30 songs of the year 1982 <laughs> because that was 40 years ago, you know, because this is, you know, 2022. So any, they will find any reason to make a list because they know that that's what people do 
you know, kind of gravitate to. The media certainly does, and we love lists. And I've talked about their many lists. They've had the the greatest songs in the world, the greatest albums in the world, and I've talked to you about gone through the numbers and, and things like that, what I agreed, what I disagreed, some inconsistencies. And so here we are again with another list. I'm not sure if you saw this before or not, but uh, if you're listening and you're close to your phone or radio, I mean to a computer, uh, go online and look at the list and we can, we can do this together. It's the 50th, the 50 or on the Rolling Stone website, it's the top 100 greatest TV shows of all time based in, in 2022, obviously. And I have to say that, once again, um, as in most lists, surprised with some and not surprised in others and disappointed in many cases. Now, it's interesting um, because, as I said, the hard copy version only has the top 50. And the internet version goes to 100. But it is interesting to see just how, even for the sake of the top 50, you know, once again, and I've talked about this before, especially with music, and they just redid the the best albums of all time. And there were some huge differences in the last time they did this list to when they had the new list. And some of the albums that were always in the top two or three, like the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, had fallen down. And albums that were not even in the top 20 were suddenly in the top five. And the the best album of, of all time now, according to Rolling Stone, their last list was Marvin Gaye's What's Going On? And my point at that time was, and when you looked at the list, it was very um, centered on diversity. And, you know, because past lists from, say, 10 or 15 years ago or 20 years ago were rock-dominated. And as I said before, now rock is is pretty much going the way of, of jazz music and will in a few years, pretty much. In terms of the popular culture, it'll always be around. But in terms of it being a, a musical and pop culture force, I would say as soon as you know some of the icons that are still living and still touring in many cases, like Bob Dylan and Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel and Elton John and members of Pink Floyd and and things like that. Uh, but when when some of those icons pass away or retire then rock and roll will be still around. They'll still have some radio stations here and there. But uh, in terms of its if its of its uh, relevance and culture and driving the culture, that's that's ended quite a while ago. So I wondered at that time, was this new list that Rolling Stone put out, was it more worried about diversity or quality? Because some of these albums they didn't they didn't change so why would they go down <laughs> if it's a if it was the greatest album of all time then why would it not still be the greatest album of all time and and you could say well because a new album came along i would i would buy that argument 
But the new album that became the greatest album of all time, which was Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, was among those other albums. So why did that album suddenly get better? The songs are, you know, the songs are still the same. So if, if, if Sgt. Pepper was the best album of all time, then why isn't it still the best album of all time? Marvin Gaye has been dead for almost 30 years, so, no, 40 years almost. So, you know, what, the, he, he, that album didn't improve, but apparently our view of it maybe has improved because we are now more socially conscious and we're more worried about diversity, and I think Rolling Stone wanted to have a, a list that was representative of a more diverse and eclectic um listing of the best albums of all time as opposed to being and so it would be more relevant to younger people today who would recognize albums that they listen to as opposed to a list of albums from 40 or 50 years ago that they've never heard of so we have to start with the premise that every list is subjective which we know and every list is trying to be relevant and speak to its audience and its contemporary audience, while at the same time giving a nod to great achievements whenever they've been made, whether it was 40 years ago or 100 years ago or two weeks ago. So every list is up for debate, and that's why we like them. But um, this, the 50 greatest TV shows or the 100, whatever you want to use, by Rolling Stone, is very interesting because there are some shows that, given the cult status, given the hipster status, um, given the bias of those who are probably putting this list together of people probably more in their 30s and 40s and maybe early 50s than certainly people older, you would expect to see um, more recent shows or even more current shows because, once again, that's what people are watching and that's what, that's what appeals to people today. They want to know. Every generation wants to think that what, they're, what they've done is the best of humankind. <laughs> and that, that goes back to biblical times. We all think that our generation is the best one. No question. Now, I do believe, and I've talked about this before, that in the history books, I, you know, uh, with, with the Beatles, certainly, and I guess you could trace it back to Elvis, although Elvis lost a lot of his impact. But from 1964, you can almost peg the day, from, you know, from February 9th, um, 1964. Was it the 9th? Yeah, I think so. Uh, when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show. Um, that's when, you know, rock and roll took over and everything did change. And you can you can pretty much, you know, plot it to that. And, um, and so... It's been dominated by that, you know, f since that date, 
you know, almost 60 years ago. And so you have to look at it from those eyes and you have to look at it from today's eyes too, to say, all right, when, you know, when, 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 when do things, you know, begin to push over, you know, to the next generation. It's always an interesting kind of a, um, of a view. Like when, when does it, when does it go past? And uh, we're certainly past that now. I mean, like I said, rock and roll has passed and it, it is February 9th. I was right. But anyway, I'm looking at this list and I'm surprised that some of the shows that I would have thought are are considered now iconic by a newer, younger generation and groundbreaking would have been higher in this list. I am I am pleasantly surprised to see that um, that the majority of the the top fifty and even the top on one hundred. And when you think about that, you know the top one hundred. Wow. You know, television as a as an entity, an entertainment entity, probably, you know, it was around in the in the late forties and early fifties, but it wasn't until maybe the mid fifties when, when really when Americans were able to afford televisions and everybody started buying them, and it really was kind of in the mid fifties. Uh, you know, with the Ed Sullivan Show, you could kind of use even Elvis on the Ed Sullivan Show as a time when people decided they needed to buy a television, because that that's that's the day that the Earth shook. You know, and uh, even though television television was still in its infancy, you know the fact that uh, that everybody was talking about that the next day is enough. That was enough for people to finally decide that you know they were going to, you know, get a TV. You know, 1956. But anyway, so television's been around for a while now, right? You know, almost you know 70 years in terms of being a mainstream kind of a uh, medium. So there's been a hell of a lot of shows on, <laughs> and so it's in, almost impossible to make that list because there are some shows from those early days that that do merit but they're so old or they're so you know that once again a younger generation doesn't really appreciate them they never watched them they may have heard of them and they don't really so that's this list i think um is always more contemporary based whereas the music list might have a few more historical things in it, but but that, as I said, when I looked at that last album list by Rolling Stone, you know, even that one started to see some albums that you know from the early days of rock by Chuck Berry and and Buddy Holly and things like that. They were either very very low on the list or not on the list at all. So yeah, you know, it, it happens. That's what happens. We we're always we 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 make a nod to the past. But we're always thinking that whatever is of today is the best. So that's why I was fairly impressed to see this list that had, especially the top 50, that had most 
many shows that I would have put in there. There's some that I wouldn't have. Um, and there's some that I would have put higher on the list. And I was certainly happy to see that even the top 100 of all the shows that have been on, many of my favorite shows were at least in there. So I know I have been wasting my time for the last you know 50 years of watching these shows. But there were a couple that weren't. And as I said, I, even in the top 100 list, uh, I would think that there was a couple missing or should have been higher, certainly. And there were some that I question how high they are on the list. But once again, these are shows that have come out more recently and they're on top of people's minds and their favorites. And so they certainly carry more weight than shows that were on 50, 60 years ago that people never even saw. So we have to acknowledge the, um, the imperfection of the list, but we can also have fun going through the list. Instead of going backward, I, I thought, because I, 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 I mean, it's, I, I'd like to talk about the whole list of the hundred, even though the top 50 are in the, the hard copy version of the magazine. But I, I remain impressed and glad to see that despite the fact that this show has not been on now for 15 years, it's been off the air for 15 years, and first debuted in 1999 you know before the you know before the millennium right is still number 1 and that of course is the sopranos and i know there's some people that have never seen an episode of the sopranos you know and and i understand that you know that the whole mob thing is not your thing and and the fact is that what I think is so special about The Sopranos is that it certainly had, you know, the, the, the backdrop was, was a gangster mob life. But it really was a story about family. And so that, I think, if you, if, you, if you didn't watch The Sopranos or never have because you don't want violence or you don't find the mob mafia world interesting, uh, I would suggest that you give it another shot because while that's the backdrop and it certainly is a main driver of the action, this show is more about family and friends and relationships than it is about the mob. And that's what made it so unique. The The initial uh, you know, gimmick of it when it first came out in 1999 was the fact that you had a mob boss going to a therapist, which became a major, which is a major part of the show from its first minutes through the ending in 2007. And if you remember, there was a, a movie with uh, Billy Crystal and uh, Robert De Niro called Analyze This. And when The Sopranos came out, people were actually putting down The Sopranos saying that they ripped off Analyze This, which in in retrospect, now this show was so much deeper and so much more than analyze this, which was which was just a light comedy. There were two movies of it; it was popular, but that was that actually came out before the Sopranos around the same time, and there were actually comparisons between analyze this, Billy Crystal playing the the therapist and Robert De Niro playing the the mob guy. There were initial comparisons between the Sopranos and analyze this. 
these two things could not have been farther apart. But that little gimmick of a of a mob boss talking to a therapist was intriguing. And it's interesting how two forms of entertainment, a movie and a TV show, are, are out around the same time, caught on that, caught on to that little aspect of it. But The Sopranos, as I said before, uh, became so much more. And so I'm actually glad to see that it still is considered the best show on television. Because you know what? I haven't I, I I watched it religiously when it was on every week. But then I didn't watch it for a while after it was off. I had all the DVDs. I mean now does anybody even know what DVD is? And and I watched them every so often and they were on free T for TV for a while. They were edited on A and E. But now you can watch them all on, you know, HBO Max. And one day I I just happened upon a few episodes and I started to watch them. And it was in the middle of the storyline. It wasn't at the beginning or it wasn't toward the end. It was just toward the middle. But I found myself riveted. And I hadn't watched the shows that closely in, in maybe 10 years. And it still held up because, it, once again, it was about relationships, family, friends, business. It wasn't just, you know, mob killings. So if that's your perception of the, of the, of the Sopranos, I would, I would urge you to um to give it a chance because and, and and because you will i remember i just immediately from the first episode just being taken by the familial uh dynamic of the soprano family meaning the kids and the family not the family in terms of a mob family but that was also part of it it was a family story in many ways on a couple of levels the mafia family and the personal family. And James Gandolfini is is just you can't take your eyes off of him. Uh he plays that 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 role with um with such a, a an intensity and a a genuineness and an a, a, an evil and yet a heart. It's it was that it, it is not an easy role to play because Tony Soprano was a very complex character and uh, and yet it came very natural and that's why you let you you rooted for Tony even though he really was a bad guy he was a bad guy there's no question about that Tony Soprano was a bad guy and yet he made you care about him and made you root for him. And that's no easy task. So I was happy to see that the number one show still in the pop culture's eyes, at least according to Rolling Stone, was The Sopranos. Now, a show that many people might overlook, but every time there's a list, this show continues. And, and, and I'm the first to admit, I have not watched this show in a long time, in maybe 10 years or more. And maybe I should watch it. I was a huge fan when it first started in 1989 and watched it through its heyday and even past that. And maybe because it's a an animated show, we don't give it the same gravitas. But, but it is consistently named in the top two or three shows of all time. And that is quite a... <laughs> a designation the simpsons animated show 
which certainly gives you a a creative license to do anything. But they took the the sitcom family and they they just took it to to different heights with pop culture references and and ridiculous and hilarious and sometimes sorry heartwarming kinds of uh, storylines. And as I said, I haven't watched it in many years, but I am and and even in the description of the show they they do say that many people maybe have stopped watching it and you and it's to your detriment because this show has remained still one of the best. But in terms of its impact and its cultural influence, it is right up there at number 2. So Homer and Bart and Lisa and Marge uh, are a definite and, I guess, indelible part of TV culture, whether it's an animated show or not. And that really is saying something. And the great Harry Shearer, who does so many voices on that show, uh, deserves some special uh, you know, commendation, too, for... For bringing uh, uh, you know his voice and his sensibility to so many characters, a big fan of Harry Shear, but yeah, The Simpsons. Um, I'm surprised it's always that high on the list, but you know what? It's been around since 1989, and it's still on, longest running show. So I guess it does belong there, and I, I am going to maybe try to watch it again a little more. But I would have thought. Even more than The Sopranos, as I said before, about us wanting to, um, you know, putting what you know shows of our time and giving it, you know, high prominence in these lists. I would have thought, as great as I think The Sopranos is, and I think The Sopranos deserves to be number one. I would have thought, given the popularity and the influence, I'm sorry for my nasal here trying to breathe <laughs> um but i would have thought that this show would have been number one and it would be hard to argue with it to some extent and i actually thought it would be higher than the simpsons and i actually thought it would be number one but it comes in at number three which of course is breaking bad another show that if you look at it as just a show about uh, the drug trade, you're missing the point. There's no question. It's a that's a huge backdrop. But as just like The Sopranos, this was a show about families and relationships. And I'll be honest, I was a slow comer to Breaking Bad because I'm not a fan of the drug culture kind of movies or TV shows. And when when I heard the description. That's what it sounded like. And so I stayed away from it for a good three years until there was so much hype about it. And right before the fourth season, A&E or, or AMC did a, uh, a marathon. Remember those, remember those days? Now there's no such thing because you just go online and binge whatever you want. But before you'd be kind of dependent on the stations, the networks to play marathons and binge and that's where the whole binge thing started really 
I was binging before there, there binge. I was binge TVing before there was such a thing. And I watched the first three seasons in order during that marathon over a weekend and was so hooked on Breaking Bad and realized, wow, I really missed the boat on this and was was glad that I got on, you know, what I did. But, um, But I would have thought just because that show has taken on mythic proportions and its fan base and everybody, especially in these days of social media, you know, they pick apart every scene and everything like that. I would have thought that Breaking Bad would have be would have been the number one show. You know, we didn't really have social media during the Sopranos run. It would have been really interesting. Sopranos was really the last, one of the last, what they used to call water cooler shows, where, where the, the, the premise was that you saw it, and the next day you came to work, and you sat around the water cooler at work, you know, congregating with people and say did you see the sopranos yesterday and especially because the sopranos used to be on sundays so you'd come to work on monday did you see the sopranos yesterday but as i said you know in earlier podcasts once the iphone came in and social media followed it so soon you didn't need to sit around the water cooler or talk about a show the next day you you had immediate commentary about every episode minutes after it was done or during the episode, which is what people do now. It would have been really interesting to see how the Sopranos would have been dissected if we had social media at that time, as like we do now, as prevalent as it is now, and to see how people would have delved into every aspect of it and the minutia of every episode like they do with shows like game of thrones or breaking bad or now a house of dragon you know those types of things uh i would have loved to have seen you know if that's the case the sopranos may have been even a bigger hit and a phenomenon than it already was and is but to see uh, breaking bad um at number three it certainly deserves to be high in the list of the best shows ever. But I would have thought that given the way it has now become a mythology and, and a, a religion for some people, the greatest show, that I would have thought that that may have been number one. But right now, so far, the Sopranos are still holding on to that number one, um, that one, number one ranking. I was surprised to see a very a, 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 a show called uh, that that has won the Emmy Award and it's relatively new. Um, Fleabag at number five. I understand we want this list to be contemporary, and we want this list to be, uh, you know. But the show was only on for like two years. Or no, it was on for three years. And I just, to be number five, Fleabag, I've seen some episodes. I think that's very high. But I think there. this is a, 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 a an example of wanting this list to be hip and contemporary. And it was, you know, led by a woman too. We, you know, that's certainly a... Um, 
you know, an aspect here in this diversity world. And Rolling Stone is trying to be a very diverse magazine these days. So I was surprised to see that Fleabag was that high. I wasn't, well, let's, I shouldn't say that. I wasn't surprised. I was disappointed because that, that was, I sort of shrugged and said, yeah, okay, they got to put, they got to put a contemporary show that has a lot of, had a lot of buzz about it that high, although I don't believe it belongs there. It belongs in this list, but I don't think it belongs in the top five shows of all time. Of all time? Wow, that's, when you have the top five of all time, those shows better be universe, those better be shows that everybody has heard of and everybody knows and, and most people have seen. And I don't think Fleabag falls into that for a top five. Now, at number six was Seinfeld. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. I would have at least, I would have thought Seinfeld would have been in the top five. I should mention the number four show was The Wire, another HBO show. And another show about, you know, drugs. This time, you know, with, you know, with, with in, in the Baltimore area. I never really saw The Wire. I'm, like I said before, I'm not a big drug story. This is a show that so many people have told me about that I might have to take a look at. Especially when it's here number four. Wow. To me... That's a pretty high ranking for that show. So maybe I have missed something there. And, then, and maybe this show has more to it than just the drug dealing. Once again, I had a bias about that. So maybe I need to cut through that bias. So we had The Sopranos, we had The Simpsons, we had Breaking Bad and The Wire, and then Fleabag for the top five. I, I would have taken Fleabag and The Wire out of those. And uh, I think Seinfeld belongs in the top five. And and then really another show in my view that is way too low on this list that belongs in the top five, certainly in the top ten, certainly in the top twenty. It's not even in the top twenty of all time, which is ridiculous. Which really, I think, is more about uh, you know, once again, the image of this list and the the cultural. Uh, considerations of this list than the real quality of the list. You cannot remove the influence that All in the Family had on television and on the culture. It is indelible. It is without question. And I know that this show was on, you know, and it was on almost 50 years ago now. So in many people's minds, they don't even know of it. They may have heard of it. But you cannot dismiss the way most of the shows that are in this list here would not even be on television if it was not for All in the Family. All in the Family changed the entire perspective of what television was and what television could be and what television should be, which was a representation of reality. Most of the TV shows before All in the Family were these idealized 
um, fake scenarios, contrived scenarios, perfect families, white dominated, and all in the family was so progressive for its time when we were still a very uh, conservative country. And it broke so many barriers and broke so many rules and ruffled so many feathers. But I was talking in the last podcast about change and how how times change. You can't that mention cultural change and pop culture change in the last 50 years without mentioning All in the Family. It's that important of a show because it, for the first time, presented on a weekly basis the family life, the troubles, the thoughts, the prejudices, the optimism, everything that was in the human condition of that time and what and, and, and of the day and of what we hope to be was for the first time shown. Yes, Archie Bunker was a bigot and a prejudiced guy. Because, you know why? Because those people existed, and they still exist. And yes, his, his son-in-law, Mike, was a hippie optimist and overly liberal progressive. And those people existed and exist. And Edith was a initially kind of a, a, a doormat wife who then as time went on and as women began to exert their control became more independent. And we saw the growth of Edith from being a, a housewife in every sense of the word to an independent woman as much as she could be given her age and her lifestyle. But she certainly exerted much more opinion and power within that house than she did when the show started. The show reflected the times, and it also showed us who we were in a truthful way, our flaws as well as our good points, and and did it in a comedic and satirical and biting and hilarious way. And uh, I'm sorry, but All in the Family, you, it belongs in the top five TV shows of all time. I know what Archie Bunker says and some of the language he uses today might not be politically correct. And so maybe that's why this show was so far down in the list here. It was number 21 on this list. That's outrageous. That's crazy. To not even be listed in the top 20, it should have been in the top five. I could make an argument. It could have been number one, to be honest with you, in terms of its impact. So major, major flaw with putting on the family so low at number 21 and putting shows like Fleabag and The Wire and Atlanta ahead of it and I may destroy you and 30 rock ahead of all in the family come on come on no 
you're you're the americans all these shows good shows i've seen them all i like them all but not better than all in the family no way not only was it hilarious on its face but it was important and historic in what it wanted to do and what it wanted to be and what it did achieve so big big mistake on that one now i'll tell you you know number seven is madman i like madman always watched it haven't you know interestingly enough haven't gone back and watched it again i should do that because i loved watching it every week a really smart well-written well-acted show no question that once again frozen time a certain time of the past, not of the, well, on the family was talking about the issues of the day. What was great about Mad Men was that it, it gave a new light on a certain period in time, which many times was kind of viewed as the good old days. And Mad Men showed how there really have never been any good old days. There have been moments, but there's always been with human when the human condition there's always problems and mad men was another show yes about the advertising world but so much more about women and their role and men and that time period and and how things began to change um we're talking about change mad men showed the change how it started as a very when it started it was a very male dominated um society and by the end of the show it was the beginnings of a more progressive, diverse, at least thinking about it. Diversity wasn't the you know the the issue of the day at that point, but the seeds of it were there. So I do believe Madman belongs in the top ten. But I'll tell you one that that I that I don't believe. I don't think this show has held up to me. I watched it religiously. It was the most popular show on television. Almost its first episode, its its pilot episode, its first episode. I remember watching it when it when it came on in 1982, and I said to myself, "Wow, this is the funniest show I've ever seen." The first episode of Cheers is 27 minutes of nonstop laughs. But over the years, I I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if the characters hold up to as much to me as they did before. Coach is still great. Nicholas Colasanto as coach was great. And certainly no Norm and, and Frazier came from there and, um, you know, and Cliff and, you know, the whole love story with Jack and Diane. I mean, um, not Jack. <laughs> that's, that's John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> Sam and Diane and Woody. I mean, we, um, you know, and, 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 um, and Rhea Perlman, you know, the, the, that whole group. I mean, we know them by, by name and by heart, but I don't know. I've, I've tried to watch Cheers reruns, and I, they don't carry the same for me. I don't know if it was so 80s and so contemporary or not. Um, and it was, by the way, Rhea Perlman, Rhea Perlman played Carla. Um, but, yeah, I, w- I would say Cheers belongs in the top 20, but I don't know about number eight, and certainly not above All in the Family. 
No way. But once again, you got to look at who's making this list. And there's people in their 40s and 50s who either, you know, and, and maybe early 50s who grew up with Cheers. And it's from their 80s. They were teens and they watched every week. And now they're in their 30s or 40s. And, oh, I love Cheers. But I don't know. Doesn't hold up to me as much as, as other shows have. Mary Tyler Moore Show was number 10. Number 9 was Atlanta. I have to admit I haven't watched that show. <laughs> number 10 at Mary Tyler Moore. Um, I agree with that without the first two seasons. The first two seasons of the Mary Tyler Moore Show are, for me, unwatchable. The show didn't hit its stride until about the third season out of its seven when they realized that the story and what was funny was not Mary's life as a single woman on her dates or with Rhoda. The show was the newsroom. The show was the ensemble of Lou and Ted and Murray and, and Sue, Sue, uh, Sue, uh, Sue Ann Niven and Georgette and Rhoda and Mary, of course. But, you know, Mary and Mr. Grant, that was, that was the soul of the show. And the first couple of years, they were playing on the premise of the single woman. That was in the 70s, early 70s. You know, that was the big thing. And that's when the show debuted in 1970. And that was the hook of the show initially, that this, you know, this woman with a career, instead of getting married, it was this, you know, very pro-woman, woman's lib kind of a show. And they were centered on Mary's personal life and some of her work life. But they had such a strong supporting cast with those people in the newsroom that they made a very smart switch to say, you know what, it's not about Mary's dates. It's about what Mary does with those people she works with. And that's her family. And when they made that switch and the and the the characters like Lou Grant and Ted Baxter and Murray Slaughter and Sue Ann Nivens were able to shine and interact with Mary, that's when the show took off. So I would I it's, it's a, once again um, the show has taken on mythic proportions because of, you know, now we're in a female, uh, you know, female empowerment society. And so you look at the Mary Tara Moore show as a trailblazing show, which it was. But it, it wasn't, it's not every episode is great. And not even every season was great. For me, it wasn't until the focus went on Mary at the newsroom and Mary dealing with all her friends and not Mary going on dates, you know, that was just, it was just, there was nothing there. Now, I was surprised to see at number 11, which is one of my favorite shows, Succession on HBO, which talks about kind of a takeoff on the um, the Rupert Murdoch media empire. It's on right now, and it's still a very great show, and I look forward to seeing it. But I was surprised and impressed to see that that show came in at number 11. Um, some shows that I was surprised should have been higher. I think the Larry Sanders show was at 15, should have been higher. There's a show that was on HBO for only three seasons called The Leftovers. 
It was a good show. I don't believe it belongs at number 17. Once again, a little too high, but once again, a show of more recent times that people liked and watched and has gotten this kind of cult status. Um, It shouldn't be ahead of All in the Family. No question about that. One of the, when I'm looking at some of these shows, as I said before, I was surprised at Fleabag and Cheers and Leftovers being so high. I think Larry Sanders' show, a brilliant show with Gary Shandling, should be in the top 10. Uh, no question about that. Um, I think the UK version of Lost, I mean, I'm sorry, of, uh, of The Office should have been higher. It was on the list. It was like 54. I think it should have been much higher. Um, what I found, interestingly enough, in the top 50 shows, very few, only a couple, including Hill Street Blues and a few others, but not many, not many shows from the 80s. The 80s really did not represent very well in the um, in this list. Um, I was... Shocked to see that a very popular and kind of, you know, cult and, you know, popular show of this day, especially with women, Sex in the City, came in at 78. That was surprising. A show that I don't think gets enough credit that should, that should have been much higher, was the great HBO show called Six Feet Under about, once again, the family that ran a funeral home. It was 58. I thought that should have been higher. I was really surprised to see Friends, which everybody assumes, you know, is the show of the millennial or the next generation, um, you know, Generation X, you know, and who's now in their 40s and 50s, was 49th. I was never a big Friends fan, to be honest with you. So I'm kind of happy with that. <laughs> um. The shows that I was surprised that I think should have been higher, there's no, very few shows from the 50s or 60s that were on this list, and I think, or, or even or, or where they were, which is a shame, because once again, these are shows that are now 60, 50, 60 years old, and people aren't watching them. But there's no way that you could not have a, a list of the top uh, 100 shows of all time without the Andy Griffith Show on there. And the Andy Griffith Show is not on this list. And that is crazy. Um, the Honeymooners should be much higher. It was in the 70s. Honeymooners should be in the top 20. Get Smart should be on this list somewhere. Barney Miller should be somewhere on this list. I was surprised to see that uh, Twin Peaks was at 16. That should have been higher. If you like Breaking Bad, if you like Sopranos, if you like any drama of the last 30 years, Twin Peaks was the show that paved the way for those shows because it was so different and so real, once again, in a drama and so bold. And so I I don't think there's a Breaking Bad. I don't think there's a Sopranos without Twin Peaks. And so I think Twin Peaks should have been higher. Always one of my favorite shows. Well, I mean, it, it, the first season was, was fantastic. It did fall down in its, um, in its quality. 
as it went on for the for the last couple of years, but for what it was when it was on, you know, it was amazing when it when it came on. There's no question. It changed television. And so I'm surprised another show I'm surprised is that the X Files wasn't higher. The X Files in the nineties? Wow. I mean that show was so dominant. Frasier, which was the leading show for how many years? Seventy-five. Modern Family, which was, which won for many years, not considered hip, so not even on the list. How can Modern Family not be on this list? You know, I mean, you know, once again, it, it, it's not viewed as cool, even though. It certainly was cool in that it was very, for its time, was very progressive. Having a gay couple and um, a divorce couple, I mean, we had all these different kind of, um, you know, scenarios. But, you know, it, it wasn't hip. I'm looking on here to see, and I don't know if I see, well, certainly not in the, um, I'm looking here on the top 50. I don't see Big Bang Theory, number one show for years, not on there. Monty Python was 33, Curb Your Enthusiasm, 39, Battlestar Galactica, 42. Wow, that's, a, that's questionable, I would think. I was happy to see two of my favorite shows of all time, at least on the top 50, West Wing, which I think is one of the best shows ever. And my all, one of my all-time favorites, Columbo. Even though I do not believe, while Columbo did an amazing job of, ficking, of figuring out the crimes and who did it, some of the tactics he used I don't think would have held up in a court of law. And I think it's not crazy to think that many of the people that Columbo wound up arresting, I don't think many of them went to jail. Because Columbo sort of stretched the law to get evidence and to get people to confess. And I think a good lawyer would have, would have gotten Columbo's evidence thrown out. So he was a great sleuth, but I don't think if many of the people that Columbo wound up arresting would have gone to jail. <laughs> but we never saw the follow-up. We just saw him catch the people. But, um, but yeah, I, as I look at this list, I say... It's a it's a interesting list. It's a good list. It's got its share of quirky shows that a lot of people haven't seen that are hip. Um, there's some glaring omissions. There are some interesting inclusions, like Watchmen is number twenty three. You know, uh, that's ahead of Mash. You know, wow, Mash was one of the longest running and popular TV shows of all time. So. Interesting list. Glad to see the Twilight Zone was number 12, one of my favorites. But if you ask me, Saturday Night Live was number 18, and SCTV was number 70, and I would flip those. I don't think, I don't think Saturday Night Live has been funny for 25 years. SCTV, with some of those people like Rick Moranis and Eugene Levy and Dave Thomas and um, Harold Ramis, and uh, Martin Short. Oh, my goodness. SCT, John Candy, Joe Flaherty. 
Oh, Andrea Martin. Great, 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 great show. Catherine O'Hara deserves to be much higher than 70. Glad to see Faulty Towers was on there, one of my favorite shows of all time, with, um, with John Cleese. It was number 68, but that should have been a little higher, too. But, uh, you know, every list, and glad to see out of the top 100, at least, one of my all-time favorite shows, The Odd Couple. That one is always forgotten, and you cannot beat Jack Klugman and Tony Randall. You say, wow, Jim, a lot of your, TV, your favorite shows are all 50 years old. You know what? I don't make any excuses for that. There were some great shows that were made long before a lot of the people that are alive today were made, and you deserve, you should see them because they're just good shows. They're funny shows or they're dramatic shows. I used to watch, when I was, when I was a kid, I was watching The Honeymooners. I liked shows that were on 20 years before I was born, like the Jack Benny show or you know some of those shows in the 50s. I Love Lucy is on this list. Not very high, though. Those 50 shows have kind of lost their, their cachet. You can't, I mean, how do you have a list with Lucy, with the Lucy, well, I Love Lucy, not in the top 10, just for what it stood for? But once again, as I said, these shows from 60 or 70 years ago have just lost some of their cachet. I'm happy to say that I, I love black and white shows. Andy Griffith belongs on this list. Get Smart belongs on this list. So I'm, I'm, I'm unapologetic that a lot of my favorite shows have been my favorite shows for years. But at the same time, there's many current shows or more contemporary shows that are also there. Better Call Saul, I thought, was one of the better shows. One of my favorite shows. So every list is going to make someone pissed. <laughs> I think we'll just leave it on that. What a great that that was a great line I just thought of. I like this list. I was disappointed in this list. I was happy with this list. But as we know, I'm going to I'm going to use this line again, folks, cuz I liked it. But every list makes some people happy and some people pissed. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcasts. We are there. Don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion. Oh, much, much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number... 334. I'm Jim Toronto. I'm here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. Every list will make someone pissed. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs>